Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is Professor Richard Wolf, the economist, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, the author of numerous books. Most recently, The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Democracyatwork.info, Prof Wolf on Twitter, Democracy at WRK on Twitter as well. Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program. Glad to be here. Thank you. Everything I know about the gold standard is this or at least what I think I know about the gold standard. There's all these, you know, I have to read right-wing message boards as part of my job. And, and there's like all this talk about, oh, inflation. Oh, my God, this wouldn't have happened if we were still on the gold standard. We need to go back to the gold standard. Quack, quack, quack. My understanding is that with the gold standard, the amount of money that you can issue is equal to the amount of gold you have. And if your economy grows, you have to get more gold to keep your dollar from increasing in value, deflating, essentially. Actually, in the 70s, that became unviable. Am I understanding that correctly? Can you explain to us what the gold standard is, how it worked, and why we got rid of it? Sure. First of all, though, a comment on those right-wing boards. They have an agenda. And basically, whatever happens in the economy, they will link it back to their agenda and tell you why if it's bad, it's because you didn't do what they advocate, and why it's good, it's because you did what they advocate. It becomes, after a while, a kind of absurd repetition of their agenda. But let's go with the gold standard. It has been around for centuries. That is, for many, many, many centuries, human beings did not trust governments or anybody else to print money or to manufacture money, whether it took the form of paper or coins, didn't really matter. Because the fear was that unscrupulous politicians and or criminals, or if they might have been the same people, they would abuse their control over this vital thing called money, without which at least modern capitalism, but even earlier systems, uh, couldn't have functioned. So there was a perpetual desire to have something that would be beyond the control of the evil politicians or the corruptors. And so gold 
was something like that. I mean, there's only a certain amount of it uh, in the world. At least you can't find it readily. Uh, the easy part of getting it out has been accomplished. Now it's harder and harder, so it'll slow down. It'll be minimal. But then you discover that all kinds of developments in the world economy, and this has happened repeatedly, mean, as you just gave an example, that the gold doesn't do the job. You need money to do a whole lot of things in a capitalist economy. And so you need more flexibility, long and the short of it. You go off what's called the gold standard. If you've been using gold as the basis of your money, you declare you won't anymore. Uh, ironically, since it was a right-wing board that you read, I need to remind Americans that the last president who took us off the gold standard was a conservative Republican named Richard Nixon, who did that in August of 1971. At the end of World War II, uh, after the first half of the 20th century gave us two world wars and a level of chaotic global insecurity and volatility, we went on the gold standard at the end of World War II with the express commitment that it be a stabilizing, permanent, none of which it could do. Bottom line, the capitalist economy is constantly changing. It has all kinds of needs, and those needs are imperfectly met by all the different instruments it has so far developed. It is therefore kind of childish to imagine that if we have a problem, if only we go to gold, is about as sensible as if only we leave gold. It's never been the problem, it's never been the solution. Uh, and it shouldn't be debated that way now. We have serious economic problems. We can handle them with a gold standard, and that will be a certain set of problems. We can handle them with uh, paper money the way we are doing now, and that will give you a different set of problems. The idea that the problems are uniquely connected to the one or the other that's just when someone has an agenda, they want you to do something, they want to make a claim of some kind uh, or another. The Federal Reserve manages the money supply of our country, just as central banks do in every other major country. They do the best job they can to provide a quantity of money suitable for running capitalist economies. They can't overcome the problems of capitalist economies because that's not within the scope of their uh, activity and it's not available to them in the first place. If you don't want an unstable economy, one that gives you a depression virtually in 2020 and 2021 and now slaps you in the face with an inflation to which we're going to give now higher interest rates, threatening a recession, this crazy economic bouncing around, if that bothers you, and I sure hope it does, your solution is not going from one kind of money to another. Your solution is to deal with the underlying forces that build instability into the economic system. Which is to, to heavily regulate capitalism or introduce non-capitalism systems like, like right. uh, worker co-ops and things like it's that.
Exactly. Uh, so, it's, so, it's always amazing to me that Americans who are interested in systemic analysis, who believe in systems approaches in a whole lot of other realms, when it comes to the economic system, suddenly we don't want to ask questions about the system and system change and system alternatives. We want some quick little detail fix, gold, uh, financial currency or not, uh, there were those who believed, of course not anymore, that cryptocurrency, because it would be linked to the blockchain, wouldn't be like gold on the one hand, wouldn't be like paper money from the government on the other, and therefore would liberate us. It's now lost more value than the stock market or money or anything else combined. And it's one more sad lesson that these are systemic problems, not fixed by some gimmick about one little corner of the economy. Totally, totally get it. So, uh, you know, if if the the economy grew beyond our money supply in, in August of 71 and Nixon said, OK, that's enough, uh, we're not going to have to keep buying gold and sticking it in Fort Knox to back up our currency. Why do we still have gold in Fort Knox? Why do I read articles in the Financial Times about how the European Central Bank just acquired another, you know, 100 million tons of gold from Russia or whatever? Uh, you know, why are central banks around the world holding literally, uh, you know, a trillion or more dollars worth of gold? The answer is the old adage, don't put all your eggs in one basket. In other words, they know what I said. They know that any system is liable to the instabilities, the injustices, the wars, etc., of capitalism's history from the beginning. They don't know which way the wind will blow, whether it will be good to have your uh, reserves for your own currency, say, for example, the Bank of France, to reserve you behind the euro in your country, you hold dollars, or you hold now Chinese currency, or you hold a basket of currency, or you hold all of that with gold, or you hold all of that with gold and even some cryptocurrency, which some of them began to do. The, the wisdom they have is that they can't put all of their bets on one player. It's just too uncertain. It's just too dangerous. So they're just diversifying. And that means holding a portion in gold. That's fascinating. Professor Richard Wolf, thank you so much for dropping by and for your all the education you've given us all these okay. years. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Great having you with us. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's your media support group for We the People of the United States of America. Ziggy in Oneonta, New York. Hey, Ziggy, what's up? I'm calling about the um, uh, Supreme Court decision on the EPA, mm -hmm. and I think they're going to be in bigger trouble than they realize, quicker than they realize. Bureau of Land Reclamation last week notified the western states that they have 60 days to come up with a plan to cut water usage coming out of the Colorado River by 2 to 4 million acre feet by next year. And if they don't come up with this plan within 60 days, the government is going to do it because they're projecting that they will be uh, below the current levels uh, in within less than two years. Right. Every, everywhere from Los Angeles to Phoenix, Arizona is going to be dry. Exactly. Yeah. And if they don't start in, if the federal government can't start forcing the states to do something about it, then nothing's going to be done. Right. 
Yeah. So, so uh, you. Anyway, so are are you anticipating that somebody is going to sue the uh, which agency did you say was doing that? The Bureau of Reclamation. Yes. Well, I'll bet you that my uh, my full amount, one dollar, Tom, <laughs> that somebody will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know you've been selling T-shirts and bumpers, you know, progressive swag online. How's that going? Yes. And what's the what's the website again? Okay, it's been going good, and I've been a little busy here in the last couple of weeks with the grandkids, so that's why I haven't called in. It's called End the Bribe System, and actually, I'd like to have people go there, and uh, I'm trying to come up with an answer for every topic. I believe that every problem we have can be solved if we get money out of politics, and I'm coming, trying to come up with an argument so people can do a quick search and say, oh, well, you know, if you're, whatever the subject is, here's why you're not getting what you want to get. Mm-hmm. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And at the top of each of the endthebridesystem.com, there's a blue button, and on there that will take you over to the store, and you can get paraphernalia. Uh, my most recent one is a T-shirt saying, uh, abort the court. Very cool. I'm guessing this has not yet uh, become a, 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 a real business for you. It's more of a hobby right now? Oh, it's always a hobby, and it probably will be. My basic plan is to take it up until the election, and then depending upon what happens at that time, I'll decide what I'm going to do. But, yeah, I just want us to get people out to vote. And I, I'm going to tell you, I wear these shirts and these bumper stickers, and I can't tell you how many times I have people come up and compliment me and they're afraid to do it. And actually, I carry extra bumper stickers in my trunk. So I take the one off my car because they're all magnetic. I give it to the person. They're really happy. And then uh, I just open my trunk and put a different bumper sticker. Now, is, is Oneata a conservative or a progressive community? Okay, we're in a purple area, but it's predominantly red. Huh. And nobody shot at you, know. you or flipped you the bird no. or tried to stab no. you with a flagpole? <laughs> no, no, I've been uh, fortunate, you know. Um, once in a while, I'll have somebody look at me kind of odd or say something, and I'll try to talk to them. I actually try to get into a conversation with them, uh, because that's the whole reason for my com is, you know, come up with ways when they say, you know, well, look at gas prices. Well, here's why gas prices are like this, you know. That's right. You've got Just stickers like to put on gas tank on gas pumps, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely got those, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. very cool. So, and the com. Yeah, okay, Ziggy, thank you. And keep up the right. great work. Jim in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Jim, what's up? 
I think none of this is really going to matter because my prediction is that the American economy is going to fall. And I will explain to you in just as few words as I can. The sole support of the United States economy is based on a few words. The good faith and credit of the United States. Right. That's what supports us. Well, that's what supports our dollar, yeah. It supports our dollar. So what you're going to have is this craziness grabbing up around this country that we're going to pull out of NATO. We're going to pull out of any kind of world activity. And as far as trade is concerned or banking or anything else, and the Chinese and the Japanese, and especially the Japanese who hold the major amount of treasury bills sold by the United States, followed by China, China will probably dump all their treasury bills. Well, they only hold a trillion. Time. They, they hold about uh-huh. a trillion dollars in, in T-bills. They could dump that. The market would absorb it fairly easily. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would have been a different thing 20 years ago, uh, you know, and it wasn't China at that time. It was Japan who held a trillion dollars worth. And, uh, and, and you know, when the, when the national debt was only eight or nine trillion dollars. But but right now you're talking about five percent of the national debt that the market will absorb that. The Saudis are now big purchasers of U.S. Treasuries. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they're going to have to get even bigger. Yeah. You know, in order to support the U.S. Yeah. But I, I really don't think any country owns enough of our debt to, to be a lever against us. They have other things that they can use. I mean, the Saudis are using oil right now to get to get uh, to exactly. basically force Joe Biden to fly over there next next month and kiss Ben Salman's ass. That's what's going on. Right. They're using oil yes. to, to blackmail him. And he's, he really yeah. has no choice but to go along with it. I you know, I know there are people criticizing him for it and I totally get that. But hey. You know, which is, you know, which is more important, you know, saving face and and, uh, you know, uh, trashing them for Ben Salt or for uh, Khashoggi's murder or keeping the economy on track. Uh, You know, it's got to be a terrible, terrible decision. It's a Sophie's choice kind of decision for Biden. But, uh, you know, and and the Russians, of course, you know, they're 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 uh, they're trying to do the same thing to Europe. You know, they're trying to blackmail Europe with uh, cutting off their oil and gas. But I don't I don't see an external threat with regard to our finances. The biggest threat that China has to us is that they could simply cut off our consumer goods. You know, if, yes, they, right. if they stopped exactly. sending manufactured goods to the United States, our economy would collapse in two weeks. I yes, mean, that, that right. would be game yeah. over. And they know it, and we know it, and that's why we need to bring our manufacturing back home. It's happening at an excruciatingly slow rate, and it's making me crazy. Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Steve, what's up? In the Democrats' camp message as a whole, you've been in advertising a lot of your life. My wife has been in it all her life and in the newspapers and stuff. And you, you, between the three of us, we could do a heck of a lot better job than what they're doing. And I'll tell you one thing. I wish Sheldon Whitehouse was the Speaker of the House. I agree. Not good. Speaker of the House. You mean Senate Majority Leader. Uh, I agreed. I, yeah. The, the yeah. two people that I think would do a great job as Senate Majority Leader are Sheldon Whitehouse and Amy Klobuchar. Both of them, you know, Amy Klobuchar is a former prosecutor and and, you know, I, I, I was not a fan of hers when she was running for president. Right. I, you know, I'll, I'll own to that. And in fact, I think I, I wasn't you know, at what point I, I, I think something that I said on the air about her was really kind of a cheap shot. And I felt bad about it ever since. In fact, I, maybe every other week or so it'll pop into my mind and I'll wince a little bit that I said that. And I've thought about reaching out to her and, and apologizing. 
Um, you know, I, she doesn't agree. You know, we don't agree on everything politically, but she is a woman who knows what she's doing and 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 who has uh, some considerable intestinal fortitude. Uh, she has she has strength or guts, you know, and uh, and and. Um, and as does Sheldon Whitehouse. I think he would make a spectacular Senate majority leader as well. And there's probably others who could do a good job, too. Um, but those two are, the, are at the top of my list. I, I'm just so disappointed, um, uh, saddened, frankly, by the way that Chuck Schumer has, has been conducting himself. Steve, it thank you. It is unfortunate. I'll tell you another thing. We should have never let the 2000 election get away from us, even when it was determined by Florida, uh, you know, the New York Times, nine oh, yeah. months later. I know the, the war was going on, but I'll guarantee you the Republicans would have not let this stand. You're okay. absolutely right. And, and we shouldn't have let Roger Stone get away with shutting down the vote. I mean, this, that was a Roger Stone operation, the 2000 election with George Bush. And, and then, you know, Stone planned it again for 2016, stopped the steal, and then he planned it again for 2020, and that got us January 6th. And nobody's talking about that outside of the article. I think I wrote an article about that last week, but... You know, and did a random. Yeah, you're, you're the, the only show. one who's bringing stuff up and stuff. But you know, this this gallows, this gallows, this thing had to come in on some large vehicle. Yeah. And and then there's got to be cameras all around this the Capitol rotunda and stuff. Where in the heck is the video? But there that- are two huge questions that I have, Steve. Number one, who paid off? Who paid off Brett Kavanaugh's uh, ninety thousand dollar country club? $100,000 credit card loan and million dollar mortgage. Who, who, who paid Kavanaugh for the decisions that he's doing, number one. And number two, who built the gallows? And I have not even remotely seen the beginning of an answer to either of those questions. Steve, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Dwayne in uh, Odessa, Texas. Hey, Dwayne, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I wanted to let you know real quick, as fast as I could, two things. My daughters wanted me to call and let you know this because I sent an email to you uh, just recently uh, at louise at tomhartman.com. So a lot of these questions, my daughters keep coming to me asking me questions about what's going on because they don't read and know as much politics, but they're getting into it now that this whole abortion thing happened. Uh, one of those is, why was Trump to help in on going to the Capitol? He wanted to pull to Mussolini. physically attack your Secret Service guy, was it because maybe he was supposed to guide more things there or Capitol Police yep. have to be stand down and he had the authority to stand them down? All of the, the above. The other thing is, <laughs> the other thing is, why are they so hell-bent also on uh, trying to get their noses in our history books? Is it possible that they need, that may be because if you do not learn from history, you are doomed to repeat it? So if we look at our history books and look at the Nazism and uh, yeah. all the other problems that we've had over the over the years. It's the old saying, Dwayne, for, forgive, inter- forgive the interruption because we're hitting the break here, but it's the old saying, those who control the past control the future. I forget who said that, but, it, you know, it was it, Gehring loved that quote. Uh, Dwayne, thank you very much for, for the call. But that's that's it. If you can control the past. And that's why I wrote the piece I wrote today for Hartman Report, to set the past straight. The story of the founding and what the founders thought about religion. Harold in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Hey, Harold, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Good to talk to you. Thank you. I'm from the little tiny blue speck in a sea of red here in Eureka Springs. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the uh, the Second Amendment with the, the militia, well-regulated militia, some states thought they needed to, uh, you know, keep a little bit of uh, army or protection from the federal government. But I'm going to say the slave states 
needed needed to be sure that they had enough men in arms to down the uh, slave revolts. That's why because, in 1788 or 89, I'd have to go back and or look, um, but when the Virginia Ratifying Convention happened, I'm pretty sure it was the summer of 1788, Patrick Henry got up and gave this whole long speech about how there's over 300,000 black people in Virginia and if the if our slave patrol which was the militia of virginia uh in fact they had the same you know they were it was called the militia it was called the slave patrol in virginia in south carolina in, and in georgia uh he said if our if the slave patrol is ever uh removed from the state under article one of the constitution it gives the president the power to call up the militias and and he was imagining that you know an Abraham Lincoln kind of guy might become president someday and simply say you know Virginia we need your militia for an uprising up here in Massachusetts so you all have to get up and go and Patrick Henry got up and gave his long speech about how this would mean a, the slaughter of white people in Virginia and, right. and 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 he was responding to the first draft of the second amendment which said for the security of a free nation and so in response to Patrick Henry, after James Madison, who was there, he was a Virginian himself, and he was there for the ratifying convention to sell the, the, the Constitution and these amendments, and James Madison called Patrick Henry paranoid, uh, not literally that word, but he said, I don't understand why you are thinking this, but I will accommodate you. And he said, so he changed the word nation to the word state in the Second Amendment. And with the idea that that meant that the individual states could preserve their slave patrols as militias under the under the control of the governor rather than under the control of the president, it created a tension between Article One, Section Eight, and the, and the Second Amendment. And that part of history, of course, is all blown to hell too. Nobody knows about that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And and and, and that's part of history that the Supreme Court evidently just totally ignored. You're right. You're absolutely right. And that's and that, by the way, is what Breyer called them out in his dissent this morning. He said, you know, you guys aren't even looking at the real history here. I mean, or the history no. of the state of New York for 100 years, this law has been in place. And you're going to you're going to strike it down saying that you're being consistent with history. I'm sorry, you are not. Uh, you know, let's go back to Tombstone, you know, where they had gun control. Harold, I got to move along. But thank you. Excellent point, And thank you for for making it. Claire in Chicago. Hey, Claire, what's up? In light of the way uh, Rusty Bowers, you know, on one hand said that he you know, came out and his ethics allow, wouldn't allow him to stand with the criminal Trump, but then in the next breath he says he would vote for him again. Do you think other Republicans who have come out against Trump are also like that? And I can't believe the reason would be that they're afraid of Trump, you know, because, <clears throat> I mean, Liz Cheney, I mean, I don't, what do you think the real reason is? I, mean, I don't, I feel like I can't I don't think Rusty Bowers is afraid of Trump. I think he's afraid of Trump's, um, Trump's people, Trump's armed militias or gangs, Trump's armed, you know, fascist gangs in Arizona. There's a bunch of them. And, you know, his family was attacked by them as his daughter lay dying. Um, they were, they were attacking his home. And but the thing is, he's already come out against them. So, I mean, he's already crossed that line where, you know, they're already angry at him. Well, so he's running for re-election. You know, A, he wants to get re-elected, and you've got to have some suck up to Trump, uh, you know, given the Republican Party base right now. And B, I think he probably is concerned for his personal safety. I don't know, Claire. It is such an incongruous... If it's not that, what is it, do you think? 
Well, that, that's the only logical explanation I can come up with is that uh, A, he's afraid of the militias and B, uh, which is a growing problem among Republican politicians and B, that you know he, he wants to stand for re-election, he wants to have a political future and he's, he's concerned that if he completely throws, you know, it's a, it's a weak attempt. I, Mike Pence has been trying to do the same thing, you know, trying to stand up to Trump and do the right thing and yet at the same time, you know, kiss his butt. And it, it just doesn't work. You know, at a certain point, you've got to say, these are my principles and I stand by them. And, and Bowers, uh, you know, climbed back down from that tragically in that, in that interview subsequent to his, um, to his testimony. Uh, it, it, it's a tough one. Claire, thank you for the call. Mary in Seattle. Hey, Mary, what's up? Hi. Uh, thanks for reminding me that I'm smart to get my news from you because I'm about to ask you a naive question. Okay. Is it possible... Is it possible that Supreme Court is being paid off by the gun lobby and the Republicans who are also being paid off by the gun lobby? That's a really good question, Mary. And, 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 and there's a lot of actual depth to that question because you have to ask yourself, you know, the old Latin phrase, cui bono, you know, who, who benefits and, and, and why is this happening? I mean, I can understand why uh, Republicans on the Supreme Court who were put there by big money. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Judicial Crisis Network, the, the Federalist Society, these are, there are billionaires behind these organizations and huge foundations. And they want to protect their tax breaks. They want their industries to be deregulated, particularly the fossil mm -hmm. fuel industry, you know, Charles Koch and his buddies. Um, and, and so if this was an, an opinion that had to do with, you know, uh, corporations being people or money in politics or regulating fossil fuels, it would make perfect sense, um, you know, that they're, they're doing the job they were put there to do. Guns? I don't get it. I don't understand why, you know, yeah, I don't know, you know, other than that the Republican Party has branded itself with guns and they are Republicans first and Supreme Court justices second. And they believe that by going along with the brand of their party, you know, dancing with the people that brought them, that by going along with that brand, they will, uh, you know, have the ongoing support of the party and, uh, you know, they'll continue to get to invited to the fancy events and they'll continue to get paid large speaking fees. And Ginny Thomas can continue to pull down hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in, in payments from the Federalist Society and others. You know, that, but it does seem weird. It just seems, you know, just, you know, just like Scalia's Heller decision seemed weird where he... He, he t twisted himself into knots. He had to find a, a flyer from an anti-federalist from the late 1700s that, you know, was some obscure guy in Pennsylvania that nobody had ever heard of and based the Heller decision on this thing because he couldn't find the actual words of the founders to support the position he was taking. And, and, and again, the same thing happened here. They literally did not examine any evidence having to do with the New York law, how it's worked, what, how, how it's been in place for 100 years, what it does, why it should be overturned. None of that. Instead, they just listened to the pleadings and made a decision, and, and which was the principal criticism that Breyer put out against them. So I guess the only the only answer that I can come up with is tribalism, Mary. I, I you know I, I can't think of another one, but I'm just as baffled as you are, Mary. Thank you for the call. You are pretty smart, Roger in Clearwater, Florida. Hey, Roger, what's up? Oh, it's great talking to you, Tom. I'm a uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Just wanted to uh, update you on what uh, our great governor is doing. 
uh, headlines in this past Wednesday's newspaper, DeSantis engineers Florida power play. And what he has done is uh, endorsed a whole lot of people that the Republican Party has not put forward as candidates. And they're, they're very close to the end of the uh, qualifying period for candidates. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they've put up their slate. But uh, on a lot of them, uh, DeSantis has... Uh, so he's going against his own party? Yep, yep, he is. That's interesting. Uh, Senator, uh, Senate Minority Leader Warren Book of uh, Plantation, Florida, quoted as saying, he's clearly picking and choosing loyal members. He's building a cult of personality power base as opposed to a party-based power base. I've heard that before. Actually, I heard that on your program. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Makes perfect sense. Roger, thank you. Thanks for the the heads up. That's fascinating. See that? Ron DeSantis is a smart man. He, he is no dummy. He's a Harvard-educated lawyer. He's, he's got a, a very high IQ. I don't know. He's, 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 Roger, thanks for the call. I'm very concerned about Ron DeSantis. I think he has the potential to be this nation's Mussolini. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I don't, I, I'll say it again, I've been saying it for two years, I don't think that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024. I think it's going to be DeSantis. Jim in Lake Jackson, Texas. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon. What I'd like to uh, ask you about is your opinion on the Supreme Court decision concerning the use of vouchers in uh, church schools. You're talking about yesterday's decision? Yes, sir. Right. I've spent 34 years in public education, my wife 39, and what I'd like to find out, a lot of people aren't concerned about this use of uh, public funding for religious schools. I think you're crossing the, what you're doing, you've joined church and state. Oh, they're breaking down the the wall between church and state. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And uh, what, uh, you know, it's one of those sad things because those vouchers, which the states are going to be issuing, they won't be for everybody. I mean, uh, you think about it, the cost of certain private schools is higher than public, uh, you know, most schools. So uh, what happens is the people who think they're getting a voucher will get a voucher, but they still can't afford the school. That's correct. That's correct. This will uh, benefit the upper middle class and pretty much nobody else. Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think think our uh, current uh, government is so associated with religion, and uh, New Testament and all that, that I think it's in danger of public education. I agree. You know? For people who don't uh, know what we're talking about, Jim, if I could just insert real quickly. Yesterday, the Supreme Court said that if a state is offering funding or funding to public schools and a private religious school wants to offer public education, wants to offer education, and asks the state for money, the state has to give them money, basically. 
and uh, yes, or give parents the vouchers. And, and you're absolutely right. The, the way that they do it is they'll say, okay, well, you know, we're funding well, we're funding public schools to the tune of five thousand dollars a year. So if you want to send your kid to a Catholic school or to a to a madrasa or to a uh, you know Church of Satan school, whatever, uh, we'll give you a voucher for five thousand dollars. Well, most of your better private schools cost a hell of a lot more than five thousand dollars. So basically, it's just a five thousand dollar discount for uh, wealthier parents who were going to be sending their kids to private school yes, anyway. Sir. Yes, sir. And I think no, it's a I disaster. Believe, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I just I hadn't heard anything about that court decision in your show. But I, I kind of walked in late, so I, I didn't couldn't remember. Or no, I I, I, I meant to talk in. about it yesterday uh, because it was in the news, and the show just I, I I thinking back on yesterday, I'm pretty sure I just spaced it or I missed it. But uh, well, it's it's a big deal. This the, this court yes, has yes. no respect. They're, you know, they're they're claiming originalism. They're claiming they're doing this based on what the founders said. And this is absolutely no. not what the founders said. The founders were very worried about this kind of thing. As I said earlier, you know, James Madison's first veto as president was to veto a bill giving money to to a, a poorhouse in Washington, D, or to, to a church to run a poorhouse in Washington, D.C. He said no money, no government money should ever go to churches for any reason. And he was very clear about that. Brian in Joliet, Illinois. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? That's Friday. Uh, uh, not out with your guest at all. You had a congressman on, and he uh, uh, referenced uh, uh, that there was going to be a uh, rally in March in D.C. Um, and I had heard that uh, Poor People's uh, Campaign, the Reverend Doctor uh, William Barber, yep. and uh, that rally was going to be in D.C. And I checked. I got up very early and uh, put on C-SPAN, and there was no coverage on that at all, and, and nowhere else. Else. And for three or four days, they had this abomination, a thing uh, called uh, the Republican Party and Faith, and Trump was on that. And C-SPAN ran that like uh, three days in a row, reruns of it. And then before that, a couple weeks before, when all these pro-choice uh, rallies all across the country, C-SPAN gave no coverage of that. And I don't know whatever happened to C-SPAN in the last six months. Uh, they turned to the right. Well, you should uh, you should no register your concern with them, Brian. You know, I think they pay attention. It's it's you know, Brian Lamb is is now uh, no longer running the network. He was a good guy. He, uh, he did a, an interview with me once. So I don't know much about the current management, but I, I think if they're reaching out to me to you know to have have me on for forty five minutes and talk about the issues of the day, uh, they can't I be all bad. Maybe one more point. I, yeah. I, I really wish they would have had all these hearings at nighttime so millions of more Americans would uh, be able to observe them. Yeah, I'm with you. On the other hand, I think that at least MSNBC, I've been watching their coverage, and I know uh, I believe CNN is doing the same thing. They're, they're taking their nighttime primetime block after the hearings and basically breaking down the hearings, sharing with people the clips, telling people what happened. That may be a more effective way to get the message out because people have short attention spans and, and you know, uh, these folks on TV are really good at presenting what happened. But, uh, you know, I, I also understand what you're saying. Um, you know, the Watergate hearings ran for like 40 days, 40 or 50 days. They ran day after day after day, but they were during the daytime also. And then, you know, in the evening, the news would digest them and, and share the stories. Brian, thanks a lot for the call. Fred in LaPorte, Indiana. Hey, Fred, what's on your mind? I was wondering, how do we handle these people that still think Trump lost? I mean, didn't lose. Yeah. 
Well, we just and, uh, tell them they're Second wrong. Amendment you covered earlier, and uh, it was ratified in 1791, but they forget the part about uh, a well-regulated militia. All they remember is I got the right to carry a gun. Right. Uh, so they're dealing in half-truths. Yep. And uh, another story I've heard is, well, if the Democrats get their way and get gun control, they're going to come in your house and they're going to take every gun you own. Which said, is not oh, yeah. true. Uh, nobody's now, even suggested that. Rule. Yeah, well, I looked up the red flag. If you go before a judge and, and you make a complaint about me having a gun, the judge decides that... Uh, Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. That's a legitimate complaint. Then he can order me to get rid of my gun. Sure. So they leave a lot of the but just half truths. Yeah. Yeah. And, there is there is due process in there. How yep. does, uh, and can you convince people that Biden's not raising the price of gas? That's the gas companies. Yeah. Well, the and in fact, in. we've got some of the cheapest gas in the world right now. Most most people in Europe are paying between eight and ten dollars a gallon for gasoline. You know, yeah. we're, we're only then, paying a little less than five right now. And I see history repeating itself with the Proud Boys, the Gold Keepers, in comparison with the brown shirts. And the, the black shirts, shirts, yeah. Yeah, I do too, and that's, that's why I wrote that op-ed today. Fred, thanks for the call. So when Russia started embargoing or blockading the export of food from Ukraine, there was a widespread belief in political circles and, and, you know, speculation in the media and whatnot that Russia was simply doing that to try to damage the country of Ukraine's ability to fight a war against Russia. In other words, uh, you know, one of one of the big uh, sources of revenue for the country of Ukraine is food, is the sale, is the exporting of grains. Keep in mind, uh, it's, it's so easy to forget this because you, you see these pictures on maps and things. Ukraine is the size of Texas. In fact, it's a little bit bigger than Texas, if my recollection is correct. And, and Texas, just imagine if Texas wasn't way down south where most of the land in Texas, I, I have driven all the way across the state of Texas, and I can tell you, you know, from east to west, and, you know, it's like there's not a lot of places in Texas, maybe in the north, but not a lot of places in Texas where you could grow grain. There's an awful lot of high desert and scrub and, and, and stuff like that. And that's why, you know, you have cattle because they're ruminants and they can live on that kind of stuff. But um, so you've got this very, very large country right there in the heart of Europe, Ukraine, with incredible soil. I mean, if you were to take Texas and instead have that in where Indiana is and have the entire state be able to, to grow grains, it would be massive, right? It's like this, I mean, Ukraine is like Nebraska, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, uh, Ohio, and Illinois all combined together. And they produce an enormous amount of food. 
much of which goes to the Middle East and Africa. So when Russia started blockading this food, these food exports, these grain exports, and they're also, they also produce a lot of oil, uh, what's called in Europe rapeseed, I believe we call it canola here, um, and sunflower oil, um, you know, these oil crops. And in fact, already we're seeing oil, cooking oil shortages starting to pop up in Europe as a, as a consequence of this. So when Russia started blockading this, back to my original point, the assumption was that they were doing it to try to hurt Ukraine. It is appearing now more and more, and Matt Iglesias writes about this in his slowboring.com newsletter this morning. Uh, it's uh, titled Russia's War on the World's Food Supply, and it's a great read. I encourage you to check it out. It's looking more and more now like Russia is doing this to try to force us, the United States and Europe, and our allies, Japan and South Korea, to stop the uh, sanctions on Russia. That they are willing to starve people in Africa and the Middle East in order to force us to allow their banks to do business and uh, let their McDonald's open back up, although they've now been all sold to a Russian company. That this is their leverage. You know, we, we originally thought the leverage that they had was their supply of natural gas and other fuels, coal and whatnot, and oil to Europe, and that they would cut off that supply to Europe. Well, they didn't do that because that would have hurt them. It would have stopped the flow of money going back to Russia in payment for those fossil fuels. So cutting off the grain exports from Ukraine causes, it doesn't cause so much, a and, and the oil exports as well, the, the cooking oil exports, doesn't so much cause an immediate pain to the United States or Europe, although it does, it is increasing food prices around the world, including meat prices, because meat, you know, is grown on grain. The other problem is Russia is one of the world's major exporters of fertilizer, and that is in short supply right now. But it's not, it's not just causing that pain. Russia has apparently decided that they're going to starve people and see how much starvation we can tolerate. How long before we start seeing people in North African, uh, West African countries that rely on these grain exports from Ukraine for their, literally for their survival? When we start seeing the emaciated bodies and, you know, the children with flies climbing across their eyelids, is that going to be the point at which we say to Russia, okay, we'll stop the embargo, you please let the grain out? Are we going to participate in breaking the Russian blockade? And if we broke the Russian blockade, this naval blockade that they've got in place, does that start World War III? I mean, this is starting to get fairly complicated and dangerous. We have now provided, and we have, the Norwegians have, and the Swedes have now provided anti-ship missiles to the Ukrainian army, to the Ukrainian military. And they have used them to some, you know, with some success. They've taken out a couple of Russian ships. But they haven't been able to break the blockade. Keep an eye on this. This is something that is almost completely absent from most of the reporting out there. And I find it absolutely fascinating. And I think it's going to be a really important thing in the next month or so.
Tom in New York City. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? With respect, I read your newsletter today, and I'm almost sure I could be wrong. You're a genius, but it says Article 4 of the Constitution was the test for qualification. And when I looked it up, I'm coming up with Article 6. You're absolutely right, Ari, or Tom, excuse me, and I've already fixed it on the on the website. Uh, Oh, you did. Okay. So my apologies for emailing you an error. I try to I try to no, minimize those, but I, my 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 team is Louise and me, right? I I am my own proofreader, and then she proofreads, and uh, that's it. So. Oh, I understand. Thank I didn't you. want Project Veritas to come after you and say that you're a phony. No, no, I, I, no, I, you, I you made a mistake. <laughs> I, I appreciate. I do make mistakes, and I own up to them, and I try to fix them. And and that was that was one. And and in fact, you're not the first person to notice it. Somebody tweeted it to me this morning, and I went back and looked and thought, Oh my God, you're they're absolutely okay. right. And uh, I, I mixed up my IV and my VI is what happened. I mean, Roman numerals are. Uh, I mean, I'm not dyslexic, but it's it's just hard for me to think in Roman numerals. <laughs> so, All right. Tom, thank you. Bye bye. Thank you very much, and thanks for subscribing, by the way, to to Harvin Report. It's uh, like I said, it's absolutely free, five days a week, and uh, no ads or anything. And and I put a lot of work into that. I'm very very pleased when people actually read what I wrote. And I think today's is one of the more important ones that I've ever written because it's got this huge body of data in it that you can use to refute these right-wingers. This is a coup. I mean, you know, make no mistake about it. The Supreme Court executed a coup. Robert Reich just published his newsletter over at Substack. I was reading it during the break, and he was saying the same thing I was. And he was saying, you know, the National Labor Relations Act, the, uh, the you know, he, I mean, he literally was going back to the 19-teens and the 1930s and saying these regulations and these regulatory agencies are now crippled. The Supreme Court is taking us back to the Lochner era and arguably even before that. This is insane. Dwight in Inglewood, California. Hey, Dwight, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, just a little anecdote about Pat Robinson and the 700 Club when he first came into being. Mm-hmm. He, used, he used to talk daily about uh, having a day of jubilee, canceling all debt in the United States. Oh, interesting. Huh. It yeah. is in the Bible. He probably that today, but he did that early on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I have that was before to, uh, he became a plan. billionaire. Yeah. So uh, I had a plan for taking over the Democratic Party. Okay. Which is you have these uh, progressive groups like uh, National Action Network, Indivisible, and the Poor People's Campaign. Mm-hmm. Get all those groups together, have them promote progressive candidates, maybe mm-hmm. even the Green Party. Get them on the Democratic um, primary ballot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then use their network and infrastructure to promote those candidates. And if yeah. you can get enough of them in, you take over the party that way. From instead well, of trying, this to is kind of what's happened on the right, Dwight. Is you know groups like Alec and well, actually you know the the Uber groups. Some of the some of the uh, I'm forgetting the name of the big one. Uh, it, it's got such a non-memorable name. Uh, but you know, there's a the, uh, that's run basically by the Coke Network and and you know the the right wing billionaires, and they kind of coordinate the activity of all the secondary groups that they help fund. Uh, the problem on the left is that there isn't one primary funder that's that's uh, you know helping all these organizations. So so there's no kind of chain of command or line or whatever like that. But uh, well, yeah, they would have to band together on their own somehow if yeah. somebody can pull it off together. Yeah, I get but anyway, it. that's my plan. Okay, that's a good one. Dwight, thank you very much. Uh, Diane in Agora Hills, California. Hey, Diane, what's on your mind today? Hi, 
Hi, Tom. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. Um, so I was wondering, uh, given that Biden is considering executive actions regarding reproductive rights, excuse me, I get nervous. It's okay. Uh, given that our right to travel is basic to our liberty rights, how can states restrict travel for people seeking abortion in other states? They won't restrict the travel, they'll punish the travel. And they're doing it uh, economically with these bounties. So, you know, a couple of states now have passed laws saying that if you rat out a woman who left the state to get an abortion, uh, you can get that $10,000 bounty, you can sue her under the laws of that state. Um, and Isn't that a violation of privacy, though? I would think it's a violation of all kinds of things, but the U.S. Supreme Court has uh, chosen not to challenge it. They're, they're, they're letting these laws stand, So at least so far. I mean, we'll see what happens when the decision from Alito comes down and see, and see if it, uh, or from the Supreme Court comes down and see if it addresses any larger parts of this. But so far, this, this novel idea of vigilante justice uh, seems to be prevailing. It's, it's bizarre. It is. Um, it really and truly is. Okay. Well, I had something else on my mind, but it just went oh, right out. <laughs> oh, okay. That's okay. We, got, we only have 15 seconds anyway. Diane, thank you for the call. And, and, and yeah, spot on. It, 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 it seems, I mean, it just makes perfect sense that a state should not be able to restrict your right to travel. I realize the right to travel is not in the, in the Bill of Rights. There's hundreds of rights, thousands of rights that are not in the Bill of Rights um, because they're just obvious, right? You would think that they are inherent or intrinsic rights, but apparently not. Welcome back. Nine minutes before the hour, George in Cripple Creek, Virginia. Hey, George, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, the discussion you had on the gold standard, and I found it was uh, interesting that the Constitution specified that only the U.S. government could uh, coin money and regulate the value thereof, because uh, during the Revolutionary War, the U.S. government and the state governments issued so much paper currency that it became basically worthless, and the British extensively counterfeited, so the uh, U.S. government didn't issue any paper currency until the... Uh, Greenbacks of 1861 to help finance the Civil War, War because gold and silver co you know, coins completely disappeared from circulation. Yeah. I, you know, I'm with you. And, George, my apologies. I, I saw that. You That's know, all right. You, no problem. No, no. I mean, I'm here recovering well, from surgery, so I'm enjoying reading your daily blurb. And, uh, okay, well, let me, let me explain. <laughs> I, I, I saw that you were calling about the gold standard. I thought, okay, this is a topic we can't do in a minute and a half. And right. so I put you on. But my software, my, my call screen software, tells me who's been on hold longest. And when I came back ah. from that break, I forgot, because by putting you on hold, I sent you back in the queue. And so, and so you ended up back here, and you should have been on the air 25 minutes ago, and it's my fault, and I want to apologize. So anyhow, you had the gold standard. Yes, and, and then, we, uh, and then uh, FDR, uh, he didn't take us off the gold standard, but he, but he made it illegal to hold gold, and he fixed the price of gold at $35 a, right. a, a, an ounce. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, right. I thought it was interesting that uh, you know you could hold back a hundred dollars worth of numismatic coins, but other than that, it was you had to turn all your gold coins in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, there was a time in my life when I back in the seventies when I was reading a lot of this, uh, you know, doomsday literature, Howard Ruff, you know, the Rough Times. I don't know if you. If yeah, you remember I remember that. that. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, Louise and I bought some gold coins and thought, okay, this, you know, this will be our savings and. 
and uh, and then they vanished. I have no idea whatever happened to them. So it's, it aside, yeah, remember, you know what a double eagle is, right? A twenty dollar gold oh, I, piece. Yeah, I, I had some. Yeah, I bought several of them back in the sixties, where you can get them for forty bucks a piece. So they've appreciated quite extensively in value since then. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a good investment. <laughs> George, thanks right. a lot for the call. It, it's always nice hey, to hear yeah. from you. Uh, good talking with you. Thank you, Michael in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. You earlier quoted George Orwell. I did. Who controls past controls the future. Right. Who controls present controls the past. Yeah. And I'm wondering who you think right now is in control, Republicans or Democrats? Well, I think the Republicans understand this really, really well, and they have been doing an incredibly good job at trying to control the past. I mean, if you plug, uh, you know, names out of the revolutionary era, the founding era, you know, plug Thomas Jefferson and religion into a search engine, you're going to get all kinds of literally made up quotes, you know, attributing things to Thomas Jefferson um, uh, or you know, pick your founder. Right. Um, well, uh, funny, go ahead. Well, funny you should bring up Thomas Jefferson because they have made him a hero and it's based basically uh, mostly on the Declaration of Independence and specifically the statement, all men are created equal. But are you familiar with Thomas Jefferson's emancipation plan? Uh, If we're talking about the same thing, I think I am, but go ahead. Notes on Virginia? Yeah, in Notes on Virginia, you're you're talking about, well, continue, I don't, I don't. Well, here's a statement right from Page 199 of the 1802 edition of Notes on Virginia. Among the the Romans, emancipation required but one effort. The slave, when free, might mix with, without staining the blood of his master. But with us, a second is necessary. Unknown to history, when freed, he is to be removed from the reach of mixture. He wanted to ship them off. Other land. Oh, and James Madison actually, or yeah, James Monroe, excuse me, actually did. That's that's where Liberia came from, and that's why Monroeville is the capital of Liberia. James Monroe, the the what fifth president after James Madison, um, you know, he he was shipping uh, freed slaves out of the United States and back to Africa, and that, well, you know, that was that, part of the plan. Was a, it was there was serious consideration of that. Now, I, what I thought you were talking about, but I, I was pretty sure it wasn't in notes for, on Virginia, um, but in uh, Jefferson's diaries, where he speculated at length uh, about the, uh, uh, the the desirability of racial intermixing, basically. Um, although he he was most enthusiastic about white people inter, intermingling uh, racially, sexually with uh, Native Americans, because he, he, he had a high opinion of them. But uh, the whole thing, uh, I mean, you know, for- this whole scientific racism thing back then was just evil. It was just evil. Well, do you have one, time for one more uh, got, quick quote? Got 20 seconds. Uh, this is from, also from Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he think- wrote the Kentucky Resolutions. Yeah. And... Uh, Michael, I'm sorry. You're going to you're gonna have to do it another time. <laughs> it just took a little too long there. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. Yeah, that includes you. Be good to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow.
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 